bridge in the warm air over the Hudson River. The other policeman leaned inside the open car door, scouring the front seats with his flashlight as though it were a laser irradiating the floorboards and upholstery in search of clues. Mind unzipping that? The cop said, stabbing his light beam at the Nike gym bag on the back seat. Shaw could have refused. He knew his constitutional rights under U.S. law. Indeed, most every Afghan in the States knew these laws by heart. These men had no warrants, but they could ask him to accompany them somewhere else for more searching. All they needed was a pretense. Such was the thin thread upon which Shah's freedom now hung. He pulled out the bag, feeling the heat of the high candle power flashlight beam upon his tan hands. He opened it removing a long head wrap, bunching it in his hands. He pulled out two robes, thick with a few days' body odor. He pulled out a half-burned candle and sticks of incense. In other words, he had exactly what these men expected an Afghan to have. They peered further inside, touching nothing with their blue-gloved hands. Shah's laptop case was on the seat next to the bag. He showed it to them, and they were satisfied. They asked him to open the trunk, and he complied. They discovered nothing there except the spare tire, a basic toolkit, and some grime. And then it was over. They nodded to the driver's seat as a gesture that they were done and looked to the next vehicle. Shah deferred to them without making eye contact, got into the rental car, buckled up, and drove away. All along the bridge, spangles of light glistened off the morning dew that coated the thick steel cables. Below, the running lights of barges on the Hudson River dimmed as though in awe of the dawning sun. He felt great exhilaration at having passed the checkpoint, which was meant to discourage interlopers, but in fact seemed to him now like a threshold. He was inside now and it had been easy. At the same time, Shah's anger began to rise anew. He cursed the deference the bridge trolls forced him to adopt. He was a man who valued his dignity, so he took in the beauty and magnificence of the view with a sneer. As the city passed across his windshield, Shah's confidence returned knowing that the detonators were securely fish-lined into the passenger-side air-conditioning vent. In Lower Manhattan, on the 23rd floor of FBI headquarters at 26 Federal Plaza, not far from City Hall, the Joint Terrorism Task Force meeting was already underway. Jeremy Fisk, a detective assigned to the NYPD's Intelligence Division, arrived late, hobbled by a sprained ankle. He had missed a layup in his over-30 league the previous night. He played twice each week at 10 p.m., a ridiculous time for an amateur to pursue any sport, but the only time he could reliably make with his schedule, and came down on someone else's foot and rolled his. He had sat on the court floor gripping his shin just above his hyperextended ankle, waiting for the swelling to begin and cursing himself. That's it he'd thought, for the thousandth time in his life. Enough with the basketball. They said that biology is destiny, 
And so it was that a formerly tall-for-his-age 14-year-old now spent two evenings a week with like-minded desperados throwing himself around a basketball court. He loved the game, but never the sheer exhaustion of running up and down the court, an exhaustion that came more easily these days. Fisk had topped out at 5'11", never playing college after the JV team at Villanova, riding the bench because everybody else was better and eventually taller than he was. Fisk limped over to the wall. The briefing room was overcrowded with representatives of the various agencies that comprised the JTTF. There were similar task forces in over 100 cities nationwide, but New York's was, appropriately, the biggest. Besides the host agency, the FBI, full-time federal participants included the U.S. Marshals Service, the Secret Service, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco...